All right, beloved people, let's talk. This has been a, uh, been a really good journey for us for a few weeks during this month of, uh, of Advent. If, I, I want to think about uh, the idea of, of Christmas gifts coming up in, in a week. Um, if I would give Matt... I'm just staring at you since you're right here. You're such an easy target. Uh, Matt, if I was going to give you a Christmas gift and I gave you a picture of me made of macaroni on construction paper, like you would like it. I know. Might have, might, this might backfire on me. <clears throat> but if I give you that, you might look at it kind of quizzically, but, but you'd receive it. But it might be different, right, if your kid, when they were three, gave you that, right? Um, if I, you know, if, if I give Cammy, which you wouldn't care because I know you deeply, but if I gave you the first football I ever threw, it would be different than giving you the first football that Tom Brady ever threw for a touchdown, right? I mean, we know it's not very valuable anyways. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's this, this idea, if I offered as a Christmas gift, Kim, if I said, you know what, I'm going to give you for free three one-on-one acting lessons. That would land differently than if my wife offered the same, the same gift, right? So the, the deal is the source of a gift changes its value significantly. Where a gift comes from changes what it means. Right, we've been talking about this idea of shalom for three weeks. Shalom is the word that we translate in the Hebrew scriptures as peace, but over and over again, we have talked about how it's so much more than that. In the Hebrew greeting, Shal Shalom, it is a question that says, is there anything lacking in you? Or is there wholeness? And so you would greet someone by asking, are you whole? Is there anything missing? Is anything owed to you? And so we began to talk about how how the idea of God's vision of, of wholeness and shalom is something that is an overarching theme throughout all of the scriptures. And it, and it deals more, more than just the personal soul, more than just society. It's everything all together that God is working to help bring us and creation to a place where all is truly well. And we are partners in that, but we are also recipients of it. And so, so when we understand this idea of shalom, it begins, like we talked about two weeks ago, with developing a holy imagination of what the world can be, so that we don't either move to denial or despair, right, two weeks ago. And then last week, Reverend Camille came in and reminded us, through the story of Mary's Magnificat, uh, her song in, in the book of Luke, she reminded us that to be people of shalom means that we are seeking justice and pursuing peace and shared her work specifically um, in the world of, of black maternity and how um, justice still is lacking in basic health care for so many women and particularly women of color and that this is a part of God's call to make shalom. So we have an active role in it. So that's where we've, that's where we've come from uh, this, this week or the, this month. Um, but this week, as we get closer to Christmas, we want to dig in, in a little bit under the surface and ask the question of what is the source of our peace and why? 
Um, what's our foundation point and how do we live from that? Because it's, it's all well and good, right, to talk about uh, peace, but, but finding it is really hard on any level. Doing the work of peace is really hard, and it doesn't come naturally. It often feels really overwhelming, right? Uh, I was told when I get older, all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure, and I care what people think. You know that song? Yeah? Familiar with it? It's one of your favorite groups. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days. But now we're stressed out. When our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Like, we are a super stressed out society. We are stressed about anything and everything that you could possibly imagine, right? And, and it's not just in our heads. It's often really valid stress. Um, it's, it's valid heartache and loss that we are trying to figure out how to find peace within. Um, We'll dive into that in in a minute, but this is why it's important for us as a community, as a people of Jesus, to continually explore how do we attain peace in the deepest places and what's the source because life is stressful. So we're going to get to the end of Jesus' life today, uh, which is not a normal Advent theme, but that's where we start because it's a big part of why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus is talking with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, during, in, this is in the book of John. He's processing what his own life has been leading to, which is really interesting, and he's also trying to reassure his disciples of the most important things that he wants to leave them with before his arrest. He sees what's coming, they do not, and their anxiety is really high. Um, the weight of the world is on everyone's shoulders in these chapters, in late in the book of John. And if you read them, and if you read them as a narrative, it's, it's amazing. You find that it's hard to take a deep breath in the middle of this. There's so much unknown. There's so much heaviness. There's so much stress and so much tension when Jesus begins to say, I'm going to be gone soon. And they say, we don't understand what you're saying. And he tries to reassure him. He says, but, but we, don't, we don't get it. And you can just feel, you can feel how heavy the moment is. And it's in the midst of this moment that Jesus speaks to them of peace. And he speaks to them of peace in a profound and, and different way that we need to hear and we need to actually um, to lean into this, this simple statement that he gives. And it's in the book of John 14. And it, whoops, sorry. And uh, I hit the wrong button there. Uh, and it's in uh, verse 27. He says to them, he says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. There is so much in a small little set of two sentences that is worth unpacking. So we're going to do something that we don't do that often, and that is that we're going to work through this little statement piece by piece, which is what some of my sisters and brothers in other traditions do every single week with the scriptures. Expository preaching, they call it. Um, But we're going to be looking... And we're going to just be breaking down some of the things that Jesus says and say, how do we understand the source of our peace when Jesus gives a statement like this in the midst of a really, really stressful situation? And the first one I kind of hinted at from the beginning of our conversation. And the first thing that we need to be aware of is that Jesus offers peace as a gift. 
Jesus says, I, I give you something, right? And so, so the first idea, oh, these things all the time. Let's see. There we go. All right. So the first idea is that this peace is a gift, and not just a gift, but a gift from Jesus. All right? And we're going to go old school with that. Okay. So, so the first thing that we have is Jesus reminds his disciples. The message of God could say, if you blank, 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 and blank, then you will have peace. If you are really faithful, if you love authentically, if you obey all of my commands, these are all great, wonderful things, then you will have peace. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say anything about attaining or achieving. He says, in the midst of their anxiety, he says, my peace I give to you. And there's no earning. There's no achieving. There's just the reality that Jesus has something, and he says, I want to give it to you. And it's my peace. It's not just peace. It's Jesus' actual peace. The peace that Jesus held within him during the most difficult time of his life is what he says, I am giving this to you. It's, it's radical, and we need to understand that when something comes from Jesus, that changes the texture of it, because it's his very own. It's not the same as him saying, be peaceful. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to offer you something of mine. It doesn't need to be your peace. It can be my peace that covers your situation. Okay? And there's something dynamic, and there's something unique, and there's something powerful about all of that. Um, my, my peace. It's, it's, it's profound, which leads us to the next point, the next thing that Jesus says. Because right after that, he says, I don't give to you as the world gives. So, so peace is not just a gift when it comes from Jesus, but it's also irrational. I like irrational because it makes us kind of think about things. We might also say, let's do, let's go. It's surprising, we'll say. Um, the, the peace of Jesus is coming, like I said, right before he suffers. It's right before he's betrayed. It's right before he's arrested, right before he's accused and beaten and executed. Jesus knows what's coming, and he even has the ability to use the phrase, my peace. The fact that Jesus even has peace that he thinks is accessible at all is profound in this moment. So we have to ask ourselves, how did Jesus actually have peace? But we know he had it because of what he did in the following moments. But he had it because he was so deeply rooted in his identity as God's beloved. He had that peace because he was acting in that oneness of the Father in love. And he had a conviction that the story wasn't over. He had a conviction that the story wasn't over. So he has peace and he gives it to his disciples. He reminds them that it's like a gift, but it's not going to be the type of peace that the world offers. This, this is the linchpin to everything else. Just a tiny bit later, he's going to reiterate this in John 16, And he's going to say, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. 
I'm reminding you of what's important, the power of love, my oneness with the Father, my love for you, so that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he begins, he, he, he follows up this idea of peace with the assumption that it's not just going to be the absence of conflict or the absence of stress. So Jesus doesn't, I think sometimes when we talk about the peace of God, <clears throat> we have this temptation to, to make it very vanilla and very flat and act like it's a replacement of all of the struggles. And Jesus never does that. Jesus acknowledges you are going to have trouble, but I'm giving you my peace as you walk through the challenge of a human life that deals with suffering. So Jesus offers that supernatural peace because suffering is real and it's not going anywhere. This is the hard, this is the, the, the challenge. You know what the early church knew? You know what people throughout history have known? That life is fragile and suffering is inevitable. Do you know what our generation tries to deny? That life is fragile and that suffering is inevitable. We want to believe it's possible to avoid pain and suffering. Desperately. And, and the more you think you can avoid pain and suffering, the less likely you are to admit the need or be open to a peace that is beyond your ability to produce. Does that make sense? A peace, we might say, that surpasses understanding. Cultural anthropologist uh, Richard Sweater writes that modern secular culture is the worst culture in the history of the world at equipping its members to handle suffering. Test it. He's right. Modern secular culture is the worst culture in the history of the world at equipping people to handle suffering. Avoidance at all cost. Throw money at it. Learn enough. Get the medical advances. None of these things are necessarily bad or negative, but the, the idea is that if you do the things that are right, and unfortunately, the church has often had their own version of saying these things. If you, blank, have enough faith, whatever. But, but this, is, this is the thing that, that we need to own. There is no strategy in our, in our current culture for dealing with, with suffering, only to try to avoid it and ignore it. Uh, it's like kind of we're like perpetual teenagers. Sometimes, no offense if any of the teenagers are still in this room. Um, but, but right, like in, in the teenage mindset, right, you're like, you're smart, you're strong, you're capable, you're invincible, and you've got a solution for everything. And it's really hard to admit grief and to acknowledge suffering without you slipping into complete despair. That's kind of what we see happening. And I've seen it in people that are 12, and I've seen it in people that are 85. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand was a, a, an orthopedic surgeon, expert on leprosy treatment, wrote a couple books in his image, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, partnered with, um, with another author, and uh, beautiful books about the, the nature of, of um, the church as the body and the human body interacting. But he spent half of his life as a leprosy expert in India and the other half uh, practicing in the United States. And, and he said, in the United States... I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. All right. So now that we're all cheered up on the Joy Sunday, <laughs> here's the question. 
How will you walk through life well with the inevitability of suffering? The coming of Jesus, and by default, Christianity, when it is at its best, offers a response. God's supernatural sense and gift of wholeness. Jesus gives us peace. Gives us peace through his solidarity. We are reminded that God knows suffering and that God understands it because God walked through it, right? Jesus also teaches us that even those who suffer are loved immeasurably. Take a look at the Beatitudes. Jesus, Jesus speaks and says, those of you who are mourning, who are suffering, you are loved immeasurably. God sees it. God knows it. There is power there. There is a reminder that we can receive God's peace even when it's not fully embodied. So there is presence, the presence of God in our suffering. And Jesus obviously teaches us that God is at work to restore everything one day. So our suffering is not the last word. And so each of these things is, are the ways that God offers us the gift of peace. It's important that we understand how much of a gift this really is. People who are dying are not cut off from the gift of God's peace. People who are depressed are not cut off from the gift of receiving God's peace. People who are poor are not outside of the gift of God's peace. Those who are mourning, not outside the gift, even when their circumstances do not change. Um, when I was in college, uh, there was a, a wrestling coach that was nearing the end of his collegiate career. I think we only overlapped. I think he retired the year after I started going to Messiah College. Um, his name was Coach Turner, and he was kind of known around. He was kind of a legendary character. A couple, couple of you in here know it because my family's visiting this week. He was a bit of a legendary character, um, but you would see him, and you would say, hey, Coach, in the hallway, or how are you doing, coach? And he would always look back and say the same thing. He'd say, my joy is not dependent on my circumstances. And he'd smile. And um, now, now, for some people, you can pass that off. But he had lost a, an adult child. And he had suffered in other ways, too. And he knew suffering very well. And so sometimes... You can look at someone and write them off as saying, well, you're just trying to be an optimist. And then sometimes you look at someone and you see that they're in touch with something different. My joy is not dependent on my circumstance. And of course, joy, joy is just peace when it rises up to dance, right? And, and peace is just joy when it settles down for the walk. So, so these things are linked. But that always stuck with me, probably because... I heard it 10 times when I greeted him. I'd say with a smile, my joy isn't dependent on my circumstances. And, and so, so we need to understand that this is what's so special about the gift of God's peace. When it comes from Jesus, it does not follow the rules of the world. It simply doesn't. And so when Jesus says, I do not give as the world gives, he is saying there's plenty of ways to attain peace when all is well but I'm going to give you a gift that will allow your souls and your spirits to be able to be at rest, to be able to experience contentment even when all is not well. It can be okay even when it's not okay. 
that's a powerful, powerful and challenging message to hear. Um, obviously linked right to that is what we get next. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And so Jesus says, I'm giving you a special gift. It's not like the rest of the world gives where if you earn it, great, or if your life is good, great. He's like, I'm going to give you a special gift that transcends all of that. So therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled. So, so this, this gift of Jesus' peace um, is transformative. It changes us. It changes us by empowering our hearts in unique ways. So we get this transformative, transformative gift. Um, This isn't just a cheer up, you know, from Jesus. This is saying, listen, your hearts will want to give up. But be reminded that it's my peace, it's not yours. It's supernatural. It can sustain you. So lean into this when your hearts are troubled and let them be able to be at rest. Um, This changes our outlook on how we endure hardship, how we hold on to goodness, and how we don't lose hope in the long journey toward justice. Uh, Do not let your hearts be troubled is not Jesus saying, shake it off like Taylor Swift. It's, It's Jesus saying, listen, don't lose heart and give up the work for goodness. Don't lose heart because you see evil in the world and you start to despair. Don't lose heart because you continue to struggle with the same sins and issues over and over and over, and you just say, I give up. I'm no good at it. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I can come in, and I can bring wholeness even in the midst of the struggle. I can bring my peace. Um, I, I, think, I think the Apostle Paul had a sense of this in some really, really deep ways. Um, He speaks a challenge that we looked at as we were praying for this gathering this morning um, about about kind of the the struggle of unknowns and hurt. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. Many of you will know this passage. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, later on, he says, by the way, I'm not just, this isn't just baloney. He says, just a couple verses later, he says, I've, got, I've been through it too, friends. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, through him who has not let my heart be troubled. So, so the Apostle Paul says, listen, I know that life is hard. I've walked through suffering too. But even in the midst of that, the gift, I do it through Christ. It's supernatural. The gift is that I can experience contentment and hope and not lose heart and not give up. It's Christ in me. I have shalom even when I look around and there's not enough shalom. Uh, it's a transformed life Paul's speaking of. And then finally, the last statement that uh, Jesus says in this brief, this brief little, and I love this one, this brief uh, little passage is he says, do not be afraid. Now, here's the thing. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples, and all of his disciples um, were brought up in Hebrew households where they would have known the, the Torah very well, right? We've talked about this so many times if you've been around as a church, about the disciple-making process in Galilee and how uh, young disciples would memorize the Old Testament uh, portions of it. They would become experts. It was how they learned to read was by using the Torah, um, all of these things. And so when you would say phrases that were carryovers from another time and place in teaching, when rabbis would do this, the, the synapses in the, in the brain would start shooting for disciples. And they would say, ah, I remember what comes next. The, the most common command throughout all of the Old Testament starts with do not be afraid. And so Jesus says that, and there is, I think, a parenthetical statement behind do not be afraid because we see it. Genesis 6, for I am with you. For the Lord God goes with you. Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God will be with you. Joshua 1.9, for I am with you. Isaiah 41 and 43. We see this over and over. Do not be afraid, for I am with you is the most commonly repeated refrain. So when Jesus says, don't be afraid, the reason he's telling them not to be afraid is because I will be with you. And this is where we come back to the beginning. And this is where we come back um, to the story that started it all. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So the promise of Jesus' peace is the gift, the gift of Jesus' peace is quite honestly, genuinely, it's the gift of himself. So the gift of Jesus' peace is the gift of Jesus himself. And this right here, that's the Holy Spirit. Because <clears throat> it's in the middle of this passage that Jesus says in, in John, I am sending you a companion, a helper who will empower you. Jesus gives his spirit. And other times he breathes on them and he says, my peace, I give you my spirit. My peace is going to be with you. And the early church talked about how Jesus himself is our peace. The one who breaks down barriers of systemic injustice and the one who breaks down barriers between men and women in the power struggles and the limitations and the one who breaks down barriers between Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus is our peace. And the one who has gone before and lived perfectly faithfully in such a way to create the first of a new humanity what, that we are invited to participate in. All of this, Jesus is our peace. So the gift of peace that Jesus gives is really the gift of himself the gift of God with us. We are not alone. That is the ultimate promise of a message like Jesus gave. Um, now, a topic like this can be super hopeful or super challenging. Either way, it's, it's hard to have faith and it's hard to talk about having peace when there is suffering that can feel, that it feels like we're minimizing the brokenness of the world, right? Just, Jesus gives you peace. Sure, the world is burning around you, right? Like that meme, I should have put it up, that says it's fine, everything is fine, right? And he's sitting at the kitchen table and the entire house is on fire. Everything's fine. 
That is not what Jesus is trying to point us to. And unfortunately, I think that's why we don't enter into the peace of Jesus more often, because we want to be realistic and honest. And we want to say this, this sucks and this is painful. But we, we feel like we have to choose between one or the other. It's okay. Like, everything's fine. God's in charge. God's whatever we try to use to make ourselves feel better about that, which is sometimes not being honest about feelings. But what we don't get, and this is, this, is, this is it, friends, what we don't get is that this is all intended to be a gift. So the whole point is that Jesus says, I know, I'm giving you a gift in the midst of it. It's intended to be a gift. And so when it's intended to be a gift, it's a gift to match the pain of the world with the sustaining power to keep going and to even be able to be at peace. What a gift. It doesn't cheapen suffering, the fact that Jesus gives us the gift of peace in the midst of it. It just magnifies the power of God's presence. That's what is so beautiful about all of this. So it is hard. In our microchange, we, we just told you about this microchange. Like, our, the Christmas celebration in India, we believe along with James. I've been out there. I've been with him. I've, I've interacted with these children. We believe that the peace of Jesus is available, the shalom of Jesus is available to these children, even if their living conditions don't improve. It doesn't mean we stop working for it, but it means that that gift is not unavailable even to them. God's peace is not limited by circumstance. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You, you don't have to make it up, friends. But, um, but you do need to open yourself up to God's mystery. You don't have to manufacture peace, but you have to be open to the gift that God wants to give. And it might come in waves, but it's supernatural. It's not as the world gives. And so we have to, like, we're really good at being action-oriented people. I know this church. But, like, this is, this is supernatural. This is mystical stuff that we're talking about. This is being open to something that is hard to put into words, and I've just spent a half hour putting words to it, so that might not help at all. So you might just have to go home and and work it out yourself with Jesus and with your triad and with your family, whatever that that is. But maybe it's time to take a new step um, to receive that gift and let it transform you. We're going to end our time with a quote, a poetic conviction from Howard Thurman, who believed that the presence of Jesus was a sustaining power to keep walking in the way of love despite the circumstances. He wrote this during the Advent season, and he said, I will light candles this Christmas, candles of joy despite all the sadness, candles of hope where despair keeps watch, candles of courage where fear is ever-present, candles of peace for tempest-tossed days, candles of grace to ease heavy burdens, candles of love to inspire all of my living candles that will burn all the year long. Howard Thurman. If you want to know the life of someone who did not ignore the reality of pain and suffering, but walked in peace and hope in the midst of it, there you go. This is the gift of God's shalom. May we remain rooted in that wholeness, even when the wholeness of our world remains incomplete. Lord, have mercy. Meet us where we are. Give us the gift of your peace.